Hey everybody, welcome to episode number two of the podcast. This is the first episode with a guest on. We got my buddy Paul Frame on. But before we jump into that, just some quick housekeeping things. Um, one, the podcast does have a name now. It's the Barely Backcountry Podcast. Uh, kind of where that comes from is I think that just describes me. Um, I've done some backcountry hunts, you know, anywhere from you know, four to six or seven days, um, you know, three to seven miles in. Some of them have been with other people, some of them have been solo, but nowhere near what some guys are doing, you know, guys with the names of, you know, Brady Miller, Aaron Snyder, Brian Lampers, Brian Call, anything like that, where those guys are going in, you know, 14 days and, you know, 10 to 15 plus miles back there. So that's kind of where that comes from. Um, and with the name, we do have some social media now. Uh, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. If you guys want to check out what we got going on over there. And then my personal social media is at c.dillashaw, D-I-L-L-A-S-H-A-W on Instagram if you want to check that out as well. Um, but yeah, so like I said, we got Paul Frame on the podcast. He's a buddy from when I used to work at Go Hunt. I think we had a pretty good conversation kind of about how he got into the outdoor industry and all that and his upbringing in the outdoors and definitely had a really good conversation about California's wildlife management um, and what the hunting is like over there. Um, so maybe that'll intrigue you to get over there and hunt California one year. I think it definitely did that for me. Um, so yeah. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Without any further ado, here's the first guest interview of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. All right, guys. So we got the first episode with a guest on. Uh, we got my buddy Paul Frame. We met what, about two years ago when you first started working at Go Hunt. Has it been yeah. that long? Yeah, just about. Just about two years. Um, so he's working in the customer service department there right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Just opened up the gear shop. So kind of got hired to help outfit and run the gear shop for more of that in-store customer experience. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we get into that, I guess let's kind of talk about how you kind of got into the outdoors. Uh, was that kind of something you were into like as a kid, parents get you into that father or anything like that? Or you kind of got into it on your own? Um, it was more so probably a combination of mom and dad. Um, I grew up in Long Beach, California. So Southern California, which isn't exactly known for, much of hunting probably yeah. more so fishing and deep sea fishing you know your charter boats and so on mm -hmm. um so my dad is from virginia and he grew up you know whitetail hunting and hunting with uh rabbits with his his grandfather running dogs nice. and then my mom's side of the family was very much of uh upland game bird hunters so quail pheasant duck and then really big into to stream fishing so Growing up, my dad would always take me on these hunts in the uh, Angeles National Forest, all the foothills right outside of L.A. And uh, I would only take like maybe a Nerf gun or something and some camo, <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, that was the first introduction to the outdoors and hunting is waking up early, you know, hostess donuts, chocolate milk, and just making all kinds of noise walking behind my dad. Mm -hmm. And then um, as I got older, I started to learn from my uncles and my dad about what to pay attention to and what to look for. But I really just, I started to fall in love with hunting. I really loved the freedom that you felt when you went and the things that you would see every day that were, that people probably drove by or, or would camp and never witness because they never left the campsite. And this stuff just, just drove me wild. And then as I grew up, it just became more and more and more of something I wanted to volunteer my life to. So uh, it yeah. all started with mom and dad. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So you said you started kind of like with Upland and all that, just taking out a little Nerf gun. What was like that first like big game hunt that you went on? The first big game hunt I went on was uh, my dad had an archery tag for the 
uh, up in the Angeles National Forest area. I think it was like D11 or D13. And we hunted up above uh, this little L.A. town called uh, Azusa. Mm-hmm. And you would pretty much find mule deer up there. Or it's kind of like one of the mule deer species. They call it like a Pacific hybrid um, black tailish mule deer kind of looking animal and um like the mountain range itself is really rich in history like that's where a lot of brown bears used to be for california way back in the the 1800s and everything so it's steep it's steeped in hunting culture so my dad would take me up there and um we would look for like mule deer and it was gosh i don't remember if it was his birthday in early january or late december because back then back before i think it was like 1990 something you could hunt all the way through january in california and then they ended up getting rid of that hunt now you only go till december 31st so it kind of cuts the rut off um but it was i think around his birthday and he got up close to a really really good buck and shot right over his back and this buck Mm. was gone and that was kind of I don't think it really hit me then as like a 10 year old watching his dad mess a buck, but that was my first real big game hunt and experience. And then I'd seen him bring home does and then smaller bucks as I grew up. So that was my first real hunt watching him draw back and shoot at something. Nice. Yeah. And then what about you? Like your personal first big game hunt? What was like that first or just your first personal hunt in general where you were the tag holder? Uh, That would have been, uh, a pig hunt my dad had uh there was this small little like ranch kind of like a ranch hunting club in um like riverside county it was mm. called uh bighorn canyon ranch or cherry valley ranch can't remember the name of it and so my dad said hey man do you want to go you want to hunt a pig and i said that'd be i'd always want to hunt pigs that was a lot of fun yeah so he had uh you head up to the ranch really and you have your hunt license you kind of just like you making a you make a reservation for what animal you want to hunt and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they make sure the weekend's open and all that stuff. And this is like just – I don't really know the size of the acreage, but my dad and I had gone up there. And um, we had started – I think it was like a Saturday morning walking down these roads and looking for some animals and uh, came across this little canyon. And looking through some of the scrub oak and everything, you could see all these little, like, ridges, like these backs. Yeah. And it was about a dozen pigs bedded down in this high sagebrush under the scrub oak and everything. And I got, it was instantly exciting. And I, at that point I'd been shooting my dad's old PSE bow in yeah. the backyard and it was a uh, open sights, you know, draw, you know, um, drawn with your fingers, yep. no releases or any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, at least not yet. And, um, so that was, um, that was the first time I had seen a pig and, uh, kind of busted him out of this Canyon and we huh. chased him up kind of like a U-turn on a ridgeline. Yeah. And you can hear him rustling around in the, in the understory vegetation. And this, this boar came out kind of this rough looking feral pig with red hair. And I thought, okay, this is the time to draw back. And as I drew back, this little Russian boar, really cool Brown and black came up and bumped him. And this, that red pig moved that Russian boar stopped broadside at like 15 yards and uh, let that aluminum, that aluminum shafted Eastern arrow go, man. <laughs> yep. and, uh, that old Cadillac drilled him. And that was my first kill. That was the first time it kind of all hit. Yeah. Like, holy crap, this is this is bow hunting. This is how it happens. And uh, and we made a bunch of breakfast sausage out of it, but that was the first hunt. And then um, that was it, man. After that, it just got more and more exciting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, just kind of tell me about like the hunting in California, because I feel like California sometimes gets a bad rap or they don't have people think they don't have any hunting at all. Yeah. Like, what's it like over there? 
um, my experience has been that California, I, and I always tell this to people and I kind of talk about it at nauseum that it's the fourth largest state in our country. And it's probably one of the most inefficient wild game ecosystems, uh, most inefficiently ran wild game ecosystems. Um, I've seen some of the nicest, I mean, we've all been to other States and seen great mule deer, but for that state, it's very surprising at some of the mule deer you can see in some of those deep canyons, you can come across 160, 170 inch bucks in velvet, out of velvet. Um, a lot of black bear hunting, which is not probably the most popular because I think locals give them a bad rap of being dumpster animals. But yeah, for the most part, those animals feed on a lot of coffee berry and elderberry. And that's a tag that goes from about the third Saturday in August to December 25th or until it reaches the quota of 1700 bears. Um, then you have your upland game bird hunting turkey. Um, you can still draw an antelope tag. You can draw a tule elk tag or a Rocky Mountain elk tag. I think maybe it's Roosevelt. I might be off on that one, but we do have some other elk other than Thule in the northeast corner of California. Okay. And then bighorn sheep you can draw. And uh, and I I love I really do love my home state. I think it's grossly underrated. Although it is expensive and can be very hard to draw for those who are residents and who are thinking about getting into hunting in California. Um, there really is something special there. And I think it could use a more prominent educated voice to help fight for some of that stuff, or at least educate yeah. the public on California. Um, and then hopefully, you know, folks get elected into those positions where it's more of a management and, uh, and kind of a conservation program and not so much just environmental scientists running more of kind of the, the conservation plans for the state, which is kind of how I felt at the time, but, um, it's a great state, really great country. Um, and if anyone's interested in hunting it, they should definitely look into it. California is beautiful once you get out of the city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's tough. Cause like most people, like, like you said, California is expensive to go to. And if they have the choice between going to hunt California or Montana, they're going to pick Montana every time. Big time. So for yep. non-residents, it's I'm not going to say it's not worth it to go to California at least once or twice to see what it's all about. But yeah, it's yeah. tough to fit that in for non-residents. Yeah. I think, I mean, what kind of inspired me about California, not, not to be biased as a resident, but looking at the history of California, mm -hmm. you know, you look at like, man, we used to have, we used to have brown bears here. We used to have steelhead running up the streams. You know, we used to have a lot of great game back before. I mean, like every other state that had a really large Western establishment, but just knowing that within those areas of California, depending on the eco belt that you're in, you know, it's steep and rugged and thick. And I think to myself, like, man, it's like hunting Alaska. Or, oh, man, this is it's like hunting this part of that state. And it all looks that way. Um, and I think it just kind of inspires the imagination to just go like hike a little farther, look at other canyons, find springs, um, because there's so much vegetation in that, those oak trees and oak scrubs and and all kinds of berries. And um, yeah, like you said, though, it's if you can afford to go to Colorado and get a, a, an over the counter tag in a, in a densely populated unit of animals. Yeah, you're going to look more likely go to that than just try to hunt some scrub oak of California and go after a coveted black tail deer or yeah. fill a really good and uh, convenient black bear tag. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. So that's kind of how you got into like hunting on your own. What about like getting into like the outdoor industry and making that a career for you? I know you've had jobs, you know, in the industry prior to go hunt. Um, yeah. So kind of how did that journey start for you? Um, 
this is going to sound super corny, but as a kid, I would watch um, like the Jackie Bushman show and yeah. I would see like, um, I forgot the actor's name, but the guy that played Ernest on like um, Ernest P. World, I forgot his name, darn it. But I would see like some of these goofy TV shows and I told myself as a kid, I was like, I want to do that. I want to be on TV and I want to have a hunting show and I want to, you know, have a big mossy oak ranch. And it was just like this crazy mm-hmm. idea. But as I got older and older and, and I kind of grew up, I just, I really loved hunting. And so um, I didn't really know about an outdoor industry. I just knew that if people can get paid to hunt and talk about it, that would be the coolest thing ever. Um, As I got older and older, I still kind of stayed into hunting. And my dad was a pretty big rifle hunter. Um, But as I got older, I got more into archery and getting into archery. you, You know, you don't have the the leisure so much as taking a longer shot, like anything over a hundred efficiently on an animal. Like there's a little bit more of a closeness to it and an intimacy. Yeah. And so as I kind of got into archery more, I'd learned more about, you know, how to tune up your bow or, or how effective an arrow flight is and, and all these things that we all know. And of course, you know, uh, with your job. Yeah. Um, and so as I got more into it, I thought, Oh no, there's, there's more of a voice in this outdoor industry. There's, it's not just being on TV and Oh man, that's a big old buck. There's mm-hmm. more to it. And then I got into education and then I started getting my you know, biological physical science degree. Um, I started getting certificates in environmental science, fire ecology, um, outdoor recreation. I mean, all kinds of things that just kept driving the interest in outdoors to understand the environment that we all call the outdoors and hunting and everything, but what it takes to maintain it, the ecology, the conservation and everything. And, um, and that opportunity led me to the job at the Department of Fish and Wildlife, but it still maintained that interest of hunting was the core. Like anything I had done, mm-hmm. does it interfere with my hunting schedule? Like most of us in life, you're like, hey, my sister's getting married. Uh, when is she getting married? Because I like August 18th is right around the corner, man. And oh, it's, trust you know, me, I know. <laughs> I'm going to a wedding tomorrow. So <laughs> it's a good thing you filled that tag already, right? Uh huh. Yep. Um, so it, it always kind of came that that was the basis of it because I just, I loved being outdoors and just kind of being a part of like nature's everyday agenda. You could sit there and watch like a pinion jay come down and grab a bunch of pinion nuts, fly off and just drop them in the sand. And if no one really knew why they were doing that, you would think like, oh, this bird's being weird, you know, but no, yeah. it's, it's ensuring its future by planting those. And so it just drove this thing that this is what's left out of the outdoor industry. And I want to be a part of that voice. I want to like bring that in. Um, and so as I kind of kept going through my education and interest and everything, it just, it got deeper and deeper and deeper until, uh, until I ended up at go hunt. But I don't know if you want me to talk about like my whole work history that has kind of always revolved around outdoors, but I just, I always wanted to stay as close to it as possible because I never wanted to lose touch with it. And I thought the closer I stayed to it, the more connections I can make to get into it. And then it just, that, that one day it became a reality. Nice. Yeah. Before we get into go hunt. So you said you work for the department of fish and game, right? Or fish and wildlife or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The California department of fish and wildlife. Yeah. Okay. So Mm -hmm. what kind of work did you do there? I know you, you've done some research with like bighorn sheep and all that, right? Was that there at the department of wildlife? Yeah. Yeah. It was a position. I thought that was going to be out of Bishop, which I was excited about because you're right at the base of the Eastern Sierras and you can go fly fishing, the duck hunting. Like I thought, Holy crap, this would be a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know is the position was being offered out of Bishop, but it would be in the Mojave national preserve. (laughs) And I was, uh, it was uh, being a scientific aide studying the, the pneumonia outbreak that had been going on. 
um, within the bighorn sheep populations of the Mojave National Preserve and some surrounding mountain ranges. Um, so I had, um, I had, my folks have a place in Lone Pine, California, a tiny little Western town. And a friend of ours was an elk guide at the time. And he had, uh, two hunters come out and he asked if I wanted to come out. I said, Oh man, sure. That'd be great. Well, one of the guys happened to sit on the board of, um, Oh shoot. The California bighorn sheep society, I believe it was. Yeah. And I got to talking with him and this and that. He said, well, Hey, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in California for these positions and this and that, and you should, you know, you should look into it. And mm-hmm. so I did. And the position was available to work. What, as, like I said, out of Bishop and I yeah. applied for it. Um, and this guy was nice enough to give me a recommendation because they had stayed at my parents' place. Right. Uh, and I would go up and I'd cook for them and everything and they'd go out and hunt for the day. And so it was just being a part of it again, trying to stay within those connections of the outdoor industry. So I got invited out to a, a capture in the Mojave National Preserve in uh, November of 2013. And um, what it was is it was a giant helicopter capture and these net gunners came out of Wyoming and they were flying ranges. They would net gun ewes or rams. They'd helicopter them back to base camp and then all the pathologists and environmental scientists would draw blood. They would do ear tags, put collars on. And then they would release the sheep or they would put them in trucks and drive them back to their ranges and then drop them off. And they invited me up to that. And I thought, holy crap, man, like this is so cool. And so what I did an interview and everything, pretty much an infield interview with one of the biologists. And so he had asked like, well, hey, if you want to stay an extra day, we're going to do more tomorrow in another range. So I skipped a day of class. I stayed with them and he pretty much offered me the job that next day. And I started pretty much the next week of surveying um, the Mojave National Preserve, like I said, in the surrounding ranges. And it was more like using telemetry and electronic devices to locate those callers that gave off a frequency, identifying them with ear tags, uh, hopping in a single edge in Cessna with a pilot and doing like, you know, aerial telemetry. Um, you name it, man. It was one of the coolest jobs. And it was just to kind of study the impact that pneumonia was having and the recruitment of use and lambs, um, you know, and what animals may or may not have been dying off, what the population was looking like. And then if any hunters had filled tags, you would also go out and kind of, you know, verify the tag and score the ram or whatever they needed you to do. So for those two years, man, from uh, 2014 or 2000, late 2013 to 2015 was, was pretty cool studying bighorn sheep. And then also doing other captures of mule deer in the Eastern Sierras and stuff like that. So that was a really interesting experience. And I, that was one of the, one of the coolest jobs I'd ever had. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds badass. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. So then I know you had at least one in between there. You had REI. I know you worked there for a little bit, but then somehow you ended up at go hunt. I did. Yeah. So gosh, following, I'll kind of fast forward that following the big horn shield, like working for the California department of fish and wildlife, I had an opportunity to go to Costa Rica and then study, study environmental science. So I went there, for a little over a month or about a month to study environmental science there came home and worked for an environmental consulting company doing like a dredging operation in a, like a saltwater Harbor. And that was pretty neat to kind of get into the Marine life of things. Yeah. Um, and then after that job, I worked for an outfitter in Alaska for a stint for about six weeks. Um, and then came back home and that's where I landed at REI. Okay. And REI was, I mean, I had, you know, I was, 
I knew I, I liked talking to people. I liked helping people out. Being an outfitter in Alaska, I liked outfitting people mm-hmm. and informing them on, hey, what are you doing? What gear are you using? This is what works for me, but how how can this work for you? All that stuff, you know. And REI just seemed really convenient at the time. And and I didn't realize that it would actually open the door to quite quite the experience and education in outdoor gear, customer service, retail, and all these things that came with it. And so doing that for almost five years, I really developed this this love for like inspiring and outfitting people to just do what we all love to do. You know, and at the time, yeah, you had your Kuyus and you had Sitkas and all that. But when those guys were developing it, they were developing it from the same thing where they were having to come to an REI or some sort of outdoor gear co-op shop and buy some of these technical apparel and boots and all this stuff to put together their, their hunting lineup. So it still stayed connected to somewhat of the outdoor industry, but I got to learn the voice of the outdoor industry. I got to work with the brands. I got to know some of the reps and all of that stuff that kind of fed into it. But my interest still stayed in, I want to be in the hunting industry, whether it's working for an outfitter again, you know, trying to get in with some of these other brands and companies. I want to be around the people that inspire me. Um, And then through REI ended up attending one of like the total archery challenges. And I got to meet uh, like Sam Soholt, John Dudley. And that was it, man. Like it was just like a spoon of drugs and I just burnt it and smoked it. Like I was high on the outdoor industry after (laughs) that, man. I loved it. And then, um, you know, REI, I think had served its purpose for me and I kind of reached my ceiling. I was looking for another opportunity and I was fighting, you know, I was putting in resumes with a lot of companies that I thought like I, I, they could use me and I need them. And I really want this to work, you know, as a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, I emailed go hunt at two thirty six AM on a Tuesday and Wednesday morning at six thirty five, I got an email back from Chris Porter asking me if I wanted to interview. Um, and it was with one of the e-commerce managers at the time. And yep. uh, that was it, man that was the starting of it. And then I ended up at go hunt about three weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember things happened fast. Well we, well, we were super, super busy. When you jumped in, you were kind of trial by fire there for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It probably still is, but yeah, <laughs> it is. It does still feel that way where I think uh, I came in in uh, late August. Oh, I came in right on labor day weekend. And of okay. course, like everybody, they have a labor day sale. And uh, I remember starting in the warehouse yeah. And I ended, I ended up in the warehouse for, I think maybe two or three months. And man, it was just receiving pack and shipping, receiving packing, shipping. And then yep. we moved to our new warehouse. So it was receiving packing, shipping, packing and moving to the other warehouse. Yeah. Um, and I think we were clocking like, like 13, 12 hour days, seven days a week. And it was just, yeah, we, it were, was, we were going boy. We were yeah, going it was a lot of long days and, a lot of stress involved with all that, but <laughs> yeah, 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 we got it done. And yeah, once we got moved over to the new building, it was, it didn't slow down by any means over there, but no, it became a little bit more organized, I guess. Yeah, but, definitely more manageable with all the space. You can actually yeah. see more of the product, which is nice. So not, you don't have three things shoved in one location. It's, it's better organized and it's a lot nicer but you're right. Like you just, the minute you put a box down, there was an order coming in for whatever that box was and boom, that thing was going out and it was just, it didn't stop. And it was a, it was an interesting experience. It was a lot of fun looking back at it now, mm-hmm. but God forbid we ever have to move into a larger warehouse <laughs> during a sale event. And I'm just going to, I'm going to have to keep like an IV full of coffee or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Cool. But yeah, so you were brought on to go hunt to do more like customer service stuff and kind of get the the showroom up and running. That was kind of what yeah. you were brought on for. Yeah, during the interview process, um, I was told that, you know, Go Hunt was starting to look into opening a gear shop and have more of that brick and mortar fit and feel. And I thought like, oh, great. Like, I, I think that would be awesome. You know, mm-hmm. and I could I could help contribute to that. Um, and I, you know, customer service was fine already. I was, you know, I was already eating, sleeping and breathing it. So coming in and doing it mostly over the phone and through email and stuff like that was slightly newer, but still kind of picked up the same pace. Um, what was different is when people would come by to look at gear, but you didn't have any gear to show them. So you had to bring it from the warehouse. That was very new to me having to kind of manage that and set the expectation with a customer was like, you guys really, this happens. Okay. All right. We're doing this. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. And then once the move happened, go hunt was looking at a rebranding. So we were going from the classic lowercase geo and capital hunt to Mm. a different look and logo, which was going to also represent and kind of collaborate with a new voice and culture with Go Hunt, like a whole new look altogether. Um, some people would call it a facelift. This was just almost like a rejuvenation of something. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think Lorenzo and Porter had a really great idea of how they wanted that done. They had people in there that they were like, we need to, we need to juice this a little more and get that out. And they just kind of hit it, hit everyone with a pulse. And man, it brought it to life. It really did. So once the rebranding happened, the rolling out the showroom took a little while. It was like a lot of um, supply chain issues, some yeah. COVID restrictions, employment, busyness, like, and then getting distracted with sale events and kind of having to redirect the demand of like, hey, the CS department needs this instead. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. We're all here for the same thing. Mm. Um, but that's originally what I was brought on for was to help with CS and, uh, Uh, that's kind of where we are now and now that we have the gear shop open it's it's far different than what i ever could have imagined um and it's just because you see it built from the bottom up and how it all came together was just and now we're like the new the new voice in the culture is coming from from everyone at go hunt Mm -hmm. it just it just now it makes sense now you can see it born and growing and sprouting and this whole cool thing man and uh it's it's pretty awesome now it's really awesome yeah yeah it looks like it i haven't gotten a chance to stop in there yet and see the new showroom but yeah just from what i've seen from your social media and go hunt social media it looks looks really really nice so if any of you guys are in the vegas area make sure you stop by the go hunt office and talk to paul and check out all the gear over there yeah yeah absolutely we we're like usually it's like a monday to friday thing but we felt like there's a lot of people coming through town or who might have missed an opportunity who are getting off work like you know Mm -hmm. late at night after 6 p.m so yeah. we wanted to shift everything. We thought Tuesday to Saturday would be more convenient for people because it's not so much that it's, you know, hey, we sell gear. We, we want this environment for folks to come into and to check everything out. And I mean, people see how extensive the website is. All of that stuff's still available to them. Mm-hmm. We just happen to have that, that environment of the showroom to show them a little bit of what we have and that you can try this on or get fitted or ask us a question. Or, you know, if the guys happen to be around, you can ask Brady about like, Hey man, why do you use the Kestrel or, you mm-hmm. know, Hey trail, like what about the hinge too? What is it about a hinge that you like or whatever it might be? Yeah. You know, having that available as well is, is really cool. So yeah, I appreciate the plug, man. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. No problem at all. But, um, so I guess that kind of catches us up to where we are now, unless I've missed anything. But, no, that's that's kind of like just the storyline of of kind of how we how I started and, and what brought us you and I here today. And I worked with you when we first came in, and yeah. you were like that. You were like that conduit from CS to the warehouse. We would always go like, "Hey, Caleb, where's this?" And you'd find that, 
if we yeah. had a gear question, you always helped with that. And, and that's kind of how that all got started. Um, and then that's what brought us here to today. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, I definitely, I definitely miss it from time to time. Um, even though it was, was chaotic, but it yeah. was fun. <laughs> yeah. Chaos is fun too, right? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I guess kind of getting away from your story now, just kind of going on what you got going on now. You got any hunts this year that you've already been on that you have upcoming or anything like that? Um, yeah, so when I was before I well, not before I moved, when I moved to Nevada, um, it had only been about three months in. And uh, one of the guys we used to work with mentioned like, oh, did you get your lifetime license? And I was like, what are you talking about lifetime license? And California <laughs> offers much like I think Arizona does a lifetime license. And so before I really became a Nevada resident, I applied for that. So that way I can still buy tags at resident costs and still apply my points that I had been earning Mm -hmm. and everything else. I mean, I've got 14 elk points in California. I have nine sheep points, five antelope points, and I want to still be able to use those. Yeah. So I became a California lifetime hunting resident. So just like brushing my teeth, man, every Every archery season, I buy my bear tag because it's the longest running tag in California. It's the most affordable, and it's probably one of the densest populations we have. So I bought my bear tag for this year, and I started out a little bit in August, saw some really good sign for some bear, and then uh, went back in September. It's still blazing hot, but we had gotten a lot of thunderstorms in, and I think those storms might have moved some animals around a little bit because like the the bear activity just went on like a hiatus. It's just Hmm. off. So I thought, well, let me give it a month or so. You know, we want to finish the gear shop. Let's get some stuff moved in, hang some, you know, hang some some mounts, get some gear on the shelves and get it ready to go. And then I'll revisit that bear tag probably this month, maybe even next weekend. Um, and so, um, so that's the one tag I have now is the bear tag. And then like always, I put in for my javelina in January to do that. Yeah. But I put in for a few tags and didn't get drawn. Um, seeing how we were also opening the gear shop, I thought it'd be best to just do points this year. So I did points in Wyoming, Colorado. Um, I missed Nevada. I missed Arizona and a few others. Mm. Um, and then I'll probably look into my antelope 900 tag for Montana again, because that was a really fun spot and stock experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be, hopefully if I get drawn for Havilene in January, man, that'll be it. And if not working on filling this bear tag for California as much as I can, and if not, it'll just, I'll transition over to duck hunting. Yeah. And you're pretty much doing all archery hunting for at this point now for big game, at least. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much just archery. Um, I was talking to Brady Miller and he was talking about rifles and a few of the other guys. And I thought, man, I'm not quite there yet. I, I got that Matthews Atlas. I'm loving that thing. Yeah. Uh, I come in and bother you about, am I doing this wrong? Am I doing that wrong? So <laughs> I'm, I'm hooked, man. It's pretty strictly archery for me. Yeah. 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 This year I only have rifle tags other than my over the counter archery tag here in Arizona for deer, which I probably won't get to hunt, assuming I kill my coos next weekend. Um, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. But, um, shoot. But yeah, it's, at first I was like excited to have some rifle tags, and but now that it's hunting season, I'm like kind of bummed I'm not getting to go out with my bow. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. You spend so much time I shooting know. it and getting it all dialed in, and then yeah, I you mean, trade it in for the smoke pole, man. Yeah, but <laughs> I gotta say it is nice. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to kill a cow elk a couple weeks ago without a right or with a bow for sure. Yeah. Um. So how did definitely that makes it go? a little bit easier. What was that? How did that hunt go? It was fun. It was, I mean, basically everything I wanted to be, wanted yeah. it to be. Um, 
it was last week in September, so the elk were still rutting pretty hard. Um, nice. But I chased the same herd of elk for three days, and it's a situation. So the wilderness area, um, and I kind of told the story on the last podcast, so I won't go too in depth. But the wilderness area, like there's roads surrounding it, and there might as well be a paved road. Um, the dirt's, I mean, they're pretty well maintained. Yeah. And so you can glass from the road all the way up to the peaks of the wilderness area and find them the elk there, and you can find elk and you know, five minutes at, after first light. Um, but the problem is you just don't have enough time to get to them before they go into the timber and bed. Mm. So after two mornings of trying that and coming up a little bit short, the third morning I just decided I was going to hike in before dark or before light, I guess, um, and got up there and, you know, about 30 minutes to an hour before sunlight, the bull started cranking off bugles and got on them and took a shot at 660 yards. Oh wow. That's yeah. awesome, man. I'm so stoked for you. Yeah, it was it was fun. And then it led to a lot of work after that. It was about seven o'clock in the morning when I shot her, and we didn't get the last load of mead out until three o'clock the next morning. Holy moly. Yeah, it was uh it was a long day, but definitely worth it. Hey, that's awesome. That's yeah. yeah, I saw I think you were doing uh what heart tacos or something, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that was the the first thing I cooked up with it. I, the heart is pretty much the first thing I always cook up from any animal. That's like my favorite cut yeah. from anything. Yeah. Do you keep the tongue? Have you ever tried the tongue? I have not. No. Oh man, such good meat. I know it's not for everybody, but I love that stuff. I'm gonna have to try it then. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty soft. Pretty different texture, but it's really good with like a some cilantro and onion. Like if you're gonna do like a taco, yeah, you can do even like a red sauce. And oh man, that stuff is so good. Nice. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, real quick before I let you go, two questions that I want to ask every yeah. guest is um so I'm I'm I wouldn't say I'm a big reader, but I do enjoy reading. Try to do it every day. Um yeah. you got like a, a book recommendation. It doesn't even have to be a book about the outdoors or anything, just a, a book in general that you always go back to. You know, there's there's one I'm pretty sure um everyone's familiar with it. It was a Steve Rinella book about bison. Um yeah. and I'm a terrible human being because I've forgotten the title because I stopped reading it when I moved out here. Cause uh-huh. we were moving and everything. Um, but that book was really, really kind of inspiring in the sense of revisiting our history and some of the, the animals that roamed this earth, like way before us, before we got to be the hunters that we are now, like it's always been in our blood to be survivors yeah. and hunters, you know, however we do it, you know, whether we're, you know, just picking fruit and vegetables out of the garden, everything, we're still in the act of surviving and thriving, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but that, that was one of the coolest books I had read. And like I said, I'm a, I'm a terrible human being for not knowing the title. <laughs> I think um, it's uh, I think it's American bison for anyone listening. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, that one was just really, really, really cool. And um, what kind of gave light to it was uh, in Arizona last year, chasing javelina. I kind of went way back in this Canyon cause there was a lot of side-by-sides and road hunters and everything. Uh-huh. And I found um, a petroglyph like just etched into this rock uh-huh. and like all of it just came full circle. And it hit me that, man, someone was, there was someone just like me hanging out in this area yeah. doing probably the same thing we're doing. And it just kind of matched up with what Renella had talked about in that, in that book. Yeah. And um, that for me was, was a really cool reassurance that no, this is, this is why we're doing this is just because, there's deeper heritage to it than, than what we know or remember or have been told in schools. You know, there's really none yeah. of this is told in school. So if anybody has a chance and want to kind of, I know bison isn't something that people really draw a lot of tags on, or maybe it might not be an interest, you know, like 
like big game hunting in Africa, but yeah, there's history to all of it. And I think just revisiting that extends that educational branch of knowing hunting. Um, so I'd recommend oh. that book for anybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a fan of that book too. I read that, read that a while ago and it's definitely on the list of one I need to reread. Um, yeah, but Hell, I need to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And then I guess the last question is, is there somebody that you'd want to see on the podcast? Somebody you think whose story would be beneficial to everybody who bring some good information? Oh man. Um, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to plug it and kind of talk about it, if you could, I'd say like, if you could talk to like Lorenzo about maybe everyone who's heard about the beginning of go hunt or talk about the beginning of go hunt, that would be kind of cool to introduce that or, yeah. uh, or even trail and his, his beginning into archery and kind of all that he's done now and kind of his transition into getting his kids into it. Um, I think those stories are really cool from the people we know. And I think, um, uh, someone that would have a really cool story and, and also who's just a, a student of hunting, who's just really immersed mm -hmm. in everything that we know that it takes to be a hunter. Um, it's not just going out and killing though. There's, there's a lot of variables there and yeah, the, the success of it is that that's that 1%. Yeah. So I think, I think those two guys would be, would be pretty cool recommendations and, uh, and be good listens. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got a list going, and those two are definitely definitely on the list. So hopefully, nice. hopefully cool. get them on there at some point. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, how can people how can people find you? Whether it be on social media or in person at the gear shop or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone's around, um, coming through Nevada, whether you're going north or headed south, you know, swing by, go hunt, say hi, check out the shop. Uh, if you have any questions, want to pick our brain, please do. You know, you can see me on Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at wild and the letter N Framus. Um, you could hit me up at email on email. If you have any questions about gear or anything, Paul at gohunt.com And uh, I'd be happy to help out and answer anything the best I can. Sweet, man. Yeah. Like I said, definitely, definitely need to get in that gear shop, especially I'm getting ready to move out of state down to Arizona. So I need to get in there before I move. Come on in, dude. We'll get you hooked up with some of the new stuff we have going on. Sweet. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Cool, man. Well, once again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being the first guest. And I think we had a pretty good conversation. So hopefully everybody else likes it. Yeah, I hope so too, man. I can't tell you, Caleb, how, uh, how appreciative I am of you having me on, man. I, I really, really thank you so much. And I uh, hope we get to do some more hunts together, man. That was, that'd be good to do. I know we talked about Havelina last year yeah, and yeah, schedules absolutely. and everything spliced, but, uh, but yeah, man, thank you so much for having me on. No problem at all, man. Stoked for you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good right, night, bye. man. You too. Bye. All right, guys. That was the first guest interview of the Barely Backcountry podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, I know I certainly did. I definitely had a good conversation, great time talking with Paul. It was good to catch up with him and kind of get a better understanding of, you know, his upbringing in the outdoors and, you know, get some information on what the hunting is like in California. So definitely, definitely a good conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed if you want to check him out on social media, it's Wild and Framus, um, Wild N, the letter N, Framus on Instagram. I'll link that down below in the show description. And then if you want to check out the podcast social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. My personal social media is c.dillashaw, D-I-L-L-A-S-H-A-W on Instagram. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed. Hopefully you guys just give the podcast a like and a follow and all that and share it if you want to. And I will see you guys on the next one. Thank you.